0: Hi everybody! Uh, thanks for coming out for our talk. Uh, is Keanu Reeves in the audience here? Uh, I, I'm excited about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and yeah, thank you. Uh, we have a metaverse uh, session here, and uh, uh, so hopefully you're in the right room for that. Uh, my name is Dean Takahashi. I'm the lead writer for GamesBeat, AdventureBeat, and I've been covering tech news for about 34 years or so, uh, mostly out in Silicon Valley. Uh, I've been covering games for about 27 years uh, and at VentureBeat for now 15 years. Um, I uh, write on a daily basis uh, about games and that's uh, sort of how uh, the metaverse became very familiar to me. I actually read Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash novel that came up with the term metaverse uh, back when it came out in 1992. Uh, so, uh, it's weird to see science fiction actually get talked about these days as something uh, real. Um, and so, uh, this is really fun for me to to have this kind of conversation. I also run the Game Speed Summit, Summit conferences uh, and we have one coming up on May 22 and 23 uh, in Los Angeles and um, uh, Metaverse. Uh, and, blockchain and games in Hollywood are kind of the themes that we like getting into. So uh, I'd like to welcome uh, Timo Toke, he's the CEO of Ready
1: Player Me, and uh, I'm going to have him uh,
0: introduce more about himself here.
1: Thank you, Dean. Um, Hi, everyone. Great to be here. Um, Yeah. So my name is Timo. I'm the CEO of Ready Player Me. Ready Player Me is a cross-game outdoor platform for virtual worlds for the metaverse. We see that people spend more and more time in virtual worlds every year that goes by and every decade that goes by. And that's where we started the company nine years ago. And we see that the the metaverse is not a single app or a single experience. Um, It's a network of thousands and millions of experiences and worlds. So it makes sense for you as the user of the metaverse to have an avatar that kind of travels with you across many different virtual worlds and kind of becomes your virtual identity that is persistent. And um, from a developer's point of view, when you're building a new game or a new virtual world, um, you need to build an avatar system for a game to give your users cool avatars. And uh, building a good avatar system takes many months, maybe even years, and it's a major pain for developers. Um, So we work with 6,000 companies now that use our avatar system, our avatar tech, in their games, in their virtual worlds. And as a user, you can use the same exact avatar in all those different places. And um, why we think that's kind of important to work on is because the metaverse kind of has two potential paths, one of the paths we're going to talk more about today. Um, And those paths are basically a closed metaverse, closed path, where the metaverse is going to be owned by one company. And there's an open path, which means that the metaverse is more like the internet, where you can navigate between different pages and worlds and have a consistent experience across many of them. Um, and we think that's a more positive path. And, and for that to really happen, there need to be services and protocols and standards that link together different virtual worlds um, so it will become more of a network and not, bo- not owned by one company. Um, yeah, and I've been building out this for nine years, starting from hardware to ED scanners uh, to custom building out the tech for big gaming companies like Tencent and so forth, and eventually building ReadyPME. Um, close to hundred people now, uh, and scaling quickly so nine years like were you thinking about the metaverse
0: way back then, or was something else like guiding you to this sort of inspiration here I guess
1: yeah, totally so. Um, Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about the metaverse more than I was thinking about school when I was 12. (laughs) So, like, RuneScape was a game I spent a lot of time in, for example. And my first, like, hustle was selling RuneScape gold to other kids in school. So, you know, that was already kind of, like, made it obvious that virtual worlds and virtual assets have, like, real value in some sense. Um, And then we started messing around with 3D printing, we started to 3D scanning things, we started to 3D scanning people... Um, which led to, you know, building a company around avatars. Mm -hmm. And it was mostly because, you know, Oculus was acquired by Meta Mm -hmm. or Facebook back then. Mm -hmm. And we were like, okay, VR is going to happen. And VR needs avatars. And VR, like, you know, avatars play a huge role in VR because, like, you're literally looking at the other person's avatar, like, face-to-face. That's, like, the whole experience. Mm -hmm. Or, like, an important part of the experience. Um, And that's where we decided to build an avatar company. Um, And the core bet was basically that people will spend more time in virtual worlds over time mm-hmm. and uh which means that avatars will be more important over time and need to be great and will be impactful to kind of solve that problem mm-hmm. and the the name of the co- company is ready player me and it like
0: you know it, um, you know inspired by ready player one of course and uh in in that you know book and in, in the movie um it's really a single company that yeah. controls this whole metaverse the you know the the oasis created by james holiday holiday right and um it's pretty dystopian in that way right i mean it's not an ideal thing to have this uh, uh, sort of uh, universe of virtual worlds controlled by one company right
1: yeah that's right that's it's kind of weird that we're like we named the company after the movie but we we're, we're actually trying to like you know avoid that scenario <laughs> And we, we named it uh after the movie actually because um back when we named it, it was just three, two more, like three years ago or whatever, mm-hmm. um, people didn't know what the metaverse means. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. So and we wanted to make it clear that it's not like avatars for games only, like or like games as we know them. Uh, but it's like more. It's like a bigger thing. It's like uh, you know how we're gonna live in the future. Like we're gonna live in the virtual world. Or like a bigger part of our lives is gonna be in the virtual world. So like, and the best way we thought to to, to achieve that back in the day was like, okay, like people know the movie, uh, and then like to connect it with that. That was the kind of the idea, basically, why we where we connected it. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we, we have things like uh, the Open Metaverse Foundation now, and then uh, uh, at VentureBeat we started something called the the Metaverse Forum, and it was all about advocating for the open metaverse actually. And um, but there's a lot of groups out there now that are sort of um, raising like their concerns that uh, uh, you don't want, you know. Um, uh just a oligopoly of of companies or just one company actually controlling things like how how long have you sort of felt that sentiment that uh, mm. you know it's not one company to rule them all i guess
1: yeah that's a great question um i think like it started from the wider public understanding that like we're probably going to spend more and more time in virtual worlds and the metaverse kind of trend or hype like really started um that 's what made people really th- think about it more uh-huh. because before I was like okay there's games like there's shooters, there's like whatever there's different types of games we can play, but it 's not like a you know the next version of the internet, uh-huh. so I think some people understood it before, but uh, the wider public really started thinking about that like recently uh-huh. so that's that's one thing um, and I think the other thing is is really like it's kind of the web three space which has impacted people's thinking on on how to build games i think Mm -hmm. um because the kind of the promise of nfts for example is that you know you can own it and you can do whatever you want with it kind of the fact that Mm -hmm. like the interoperability kind of the promise of interoperability is kind of built into like what they are Mm -hmm. so i think um and there's a lot of like game developers are coming up they're coming up now they're thinking about integrating some kind of crypto or web three elements to the games. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all of them, like, are bit by default thinking about more open and more, like, anti-centralization and more pro-decentralization. Mm-hmm. So I think those things combined kind of really, like, created the, the, the moment we are in now where, like, people really are more open-minded about building a more connected game and a more connected world and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess one of the more interesting things
0: I've heard about the metaverse, and like you know um, how it could come to be, um, uh, came from uh, Jason Rubin over at Meta, and he 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 mentioned that like, well, it's gonna be you know the metaverse is gonna be a three D animated um, uh, thing. Mm-hmm. And so the people who know how to or what, you, what you need in order to do that is a, a game engine, right And the people who know how to use game engines are game developers. and so it follows then that uh, gaming is going to lead the way into the metaverse, right And the, the people who know how to build it already really um, are here and now um, at game companies and um, uh, and, and so you think of companies like say epic with uh, with unreal but also with fortnite right or roblox um and uh and you know activision blizzard with call of duty um but, but you don't really think of an avatar right as being that that important or that big a deal so like how did you think like like an avatar could actually uh have more importance i guess in something like the metaverse right?
1: yeah totally so i mean the avatar is it's your identity right like that is kind of like the only persistent logically persistent part of any social virtual experience like you need to have an avatar in every 3d world where you like that you visit and the avatar is always like a representation of yourself. so like why are you supposed to create an avatar each time from scratch that it looks different and feels different and doesn't represent your real identity um so like we kind of like at some point, understood that the outer can be like the glue or the the link between all those different things. Mm-hmm. Like a single game, like can't be the metaverse, right? It's like a single game, it's a single single world. Mm-hmm. Um, a single game engine can't be the metaverse because it's just one game engine. Mm-hmm. So there need to be some kind of a services that link together different parts of the market, different game engines, different games, different worlds, different you know, cryptocurrencies, different, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, like, and the avatar feels like a very persistent part of every experience, naturally. Mm-hmm. So if you can use that to really, like, build those bridges, then that's actually very powerful. Mm-hmm. And um, and also, just like, from a business perspective, a big part of the metaverse of gaming economy today right. uh, is around the avatar, right? It's like, mm-hmm. there's the mm-hmm. game, games very heavily kind of monetize avatars. Mm-hmm. People are very willing to pay for avatar assets. If any of you have has kids from like you know, eight or ten to fifteen, then uh, you've seen those Roblox and Fortnite, uh, you know, uh, uh, payments on your accounts. Um, those are avatars. So uh, it's it's a massive business. Um, and also like when you open up the avatar and you allow people to buy assets for your avatar that work across thousands of games instead of just one game, mm-hmm. then we believe this actually creates a bigger opportunity for games. Um, to sell more stuff, just from a person's perspective, mm-hmm. and that's because the avatars are more useful for people. Uh, they can use them in, in, in more and more places, mm-hmm. which makes them more likely to spend on avatars. Uh-huh. So, it felt like a no-brainer business opportunity, and a very like strategic position as well. Yeah. So you can infuse
0: like a like a 3D animated avatar with a bunch of stuff. Like mm-hmm. you can you can basically uh, what. Put somebody's identity in and sort of verification of who they are, um, uh, the stuff that they own. Yes. I guess they they can bring with them from one place to another, um, and uh, I guess yeah, it, 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 in all the, all the things I guess that uh, like really are associated with uh, with being able to or wanting to be able to, to travel into new places, right? Mm-hmm. And so like. If you can, say, bring stuff that gets translated from one world to another world, like, I don't know, you take your, your high-level sword uh, and take it into a Call of Duty world, maybe it becomes a high-level gun or something at the border,
1: right? So, so these, are, these are ideas then that um, you guys have been playing around with. Then. Definitely, yeah. So we 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 believe that the avatar is kind of like the most it's the strongest part because it's something that you have an emotional connection with. It's kind of like naturally when you think about your kind of metaverse experience, it's kind of like a center. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> Sorry, <coughs> mm-hmm. it's at the center of that. Mm-hmm. So um, so like you can attach to other things um, to that, mm-hmm. like uh, things you own, mm-hmm. you know, your wallet, things how you pay with things, and, mm-hmm. and so forth. But, um uh we're very focused right now on like making sure we make the best outers and most importantly build the best tools for game developers, mm-hmm. and any other things we add are like make game developers' lives better, make it easier for them to monetize games and so forth. That's uh, what we're all all about um so any kind of additional services or like parts of the product we add mm-hmm. need to be uh give like game developers more power and more value rather mm-hmm. than like um. Uh, you know, us as a platform. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, I forgot to mention, we will be taking
0: questions from the audience, too. And I, I guess if you send through the Slido app, uh, then we'll be able to see the um, questions come up on the screen when you have them. Uh, so, uh, I, I I think, uh, uh, I guess, on the flip side, like, why why do, say, consumers or players really... Uh, want this? Like, you know, are they asking to be able to take their avatars from one place to another? Are they that attached to to what they create?
1: Yeah, totally. So, um, so consumers want to have an avatar that represents them, number one. Create an avatar that either, like, you know, you can take a selfie and create an avatar that looks like you, with or you can create something like that doesn't look like you, but it needs to represent kind of what you want to look like or whatever. So that's number one. Mm-hmm. And then once you have an avatar that you already play with and you like and you, you know, maybe buy stuff for, then yes, people want to use it in multiple games. And we see that in our network, like, players play several games with their avatars. Mm-hmm. Um, they sometimes create different avatars for different use cases. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you have a professional avatar, then it's going to be more professional. <laughs> it's not going to have face tattoos mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. Uh, versus you have like a, and this kind of like your LinkedIn profile. Mm-hmm. you know. And when you have like an Instagram avatar, it's more social, then uh, it's going to be cooler and maybe it has face tattoos. <laughs> um, but yeah, inside the use case, people want to use the similar avatars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as far as like the buzz
0: around the metaverse goes, like I mean, we, we saw like, uh, well, I don't know, uh, Ready Player One was uh, inspiring for a lot of people. You know, some people liked it, some people hated it. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it raised uh, the metaverse into the public consciousness, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and then and of course Mark Zuckerberg uh, in October of 2021 renamed uh, Facebook as, as Meta, and that, uh, um, you know, led to a skyrocketing sort of awareness of the word uh, the metaverse. Uh, like, if you if you looked in the previous twenty years plus, it's thirty years on now since the the metaverse word came into being. Twenty twenty one was just like uh, the the hockey stick up, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but now it's it's also like. Almost like a hockey stick down as well. <laughs> and it's maybe half of uh I guess the usage you see in, in something like Google Trends or so. So I wonder what you think about that buzz and the, the the change in the buzz. Like what's what's been happening there?
1: Yeah, it's uh first it's nice so you can focus on building the things. <laughs> uh-huh. But uh yeah, so how how we um think about it generally is like you know, the metaverse came to the public consciousness like a few few years ago, and people started speaking about it a lot, and um, and that's great. Um, you know, uh, the fact that the buzz has come down hasn't changed like how game companies are performing, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, gaming is a 200 billion dollar industry, um, which is uh, you know like almost four times bigger than the music industry, for example. Mm-hmm. So it's a massive industry already. Uh, so the metaverse is already here. There's almost three billion people that play games. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, if some of you have like 10 to 15 year old kids, they hang up with their kids in Roblox. Like, that's what they do. Like, I used to play games, but I used to also hang up with my friends on a basketball court and, you know, spend time together. And like, the basketball was kind of the side activity. Uh, But then the main thing was just hanging out together and then spending time together. All that stuff is now, or part of that stuff is now happening in virtual worlds. So, the fact that people, like, speak less about the metaverse, you know, it doesn't really change that at all. So there's a whole generation of kids that are metaverse native that are growing up. There are almost 3 billion people that play games Mm -hmm. and people will spend more and more time in virtual worlds every year that goes by. Uh yeah and do you, do you think we want to hop from world to world to world
0: i guess just yes uh, <laughs> like uh, every 15 seconds or something like that or <laughs> uh, i you know i i think like the when people say like the metaverse has is already here right that i think i guess the problem i have with that is like then you can think of second life as like oh. you know the original metaverse back in 2003, uh, and people, you know, uh, basically lived their lives in in Second Life, I guess. But uh, it it didn't feel truly like a metaverse, though, because um, you, you're not really traveling yeah. between uh, worlds. You can travel within Second Life, but not go from uh, from Second Life to World of Warcraft to to Roblox to Fortnite, right? And that, uh, that these borders, they're not porous, right? They're really difficult borders to mm-hmm. get through, and like you're, you're gonna be paying somebody else uh, as soon as you uh, do that. And so, to me, it feels like, like the metaverse should be something that, where you go from place to place. Um, you can do it in real time. Like, you snap your fingers and you're, you're there, right? Yes. You don't want to wait. You don't want to have all this latency. And, yeah, it should feel like, you know, you're in the Star Trek holodeck, too. It should be like a simulation of something that looks absolutely real, right? And so so when you describe it, I think when I describe it that way, I I think, like, maybe it helps address some of that confusion about, like, Mm -hmm. okay, is it here or is it coming in the future, right? right? And a lot of this uh, science fiction-like stuff is really coming in the future. Mm -hmm. And so, like, if that's the scale, like, from Second Life to... The holiday, like, where do you think we
1: need to be in
0: order to have just like real businesses?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great point, and and fully agreed. Like, this is the the real metaverse is the one where it's fully open, interoperable. You can navigate between between different worlds and have a consistent experience. And we're not there yet at all. Um, we're there with like games. Like, people spend a lot of time in virtual worlds. Which is the first step of the metaverse? Like you need to you need to have interesting experiences and, and so forth. I think on the scale of like a, a closed game to like a, a fully open metaverse, like we're very early, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like I think Ready, PAMI, uh we are really like doing some of those things that haven't been done before with avatars, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, you know, and we're trying to break down like our mission is to break down walls to build a more connected virtual world. And we definitely see that that's starting to happen. So um, you know, we launched a partnership with Mini Royale Far Away uh, a few weeks ago, for example, where, for the first time ever, an avatar from a game, mm-hmm. like Far Away, their game, uh, came out of the game and now is usable in thousands of other games. So this has never ever happened before, which is kind of crazy if you're not in the industry. It's like it feels like why like has this never happened before? There's a lot of technical reasons. There's a lot of business reasons. But th- these things are just now starting to happen. Like that was two weeks ago mm-hmm. when for the first time ever, an avatar that originates from a game goes to like thousands of other games or any other games. Mm-hmm. Like this is crazy. What's, so like very that, early. What is that example? To like
0: the particular uh, company, right?
1: Yeah, so yeah. there was a particular company far away. Uh, Mini Royale is the mm-hmm. game, and basically they had you know hundreds of thousands of outers that people owned. Their NFTs. They're NFTs. they by the way, that they don't have to be NFTs. These particular outers were, and then uh, people that own those assets can now connect it to ReadyPemmy and use it in in, in our entire network. Mm-hmm. Like the ready PME outers themselves are already interoperable, but this is an example of a game exporting their existing outers and allowing them to you know be transported to other places and Now, like all the future outers they will sell, for example, have more value because they're usable not only in their game but across thousands of different games mm-hmm. I think you mentioned this example of sneakers right if you yeah. if you buy them in one place, then yeah yeah, exactly, so it's like you know as a user, basically, would you rather? Pay for sneakers that work in one game only, or that travel across thousands of virtual worlds. Mm-hmm. So what we already see in the early kind of data, and and what what we believe, what we believe is true uh, at scale, especially, is that people spend more, or more people become sp- like spenders, if there's um uh, if for interoperable assets. You know, for a sneaker that works in a thousand games versus like one game. Mm-hmm. And then openness is a, another
0: interesting sort of topic, I guess, that we can we can get into here. Um, and I, I think of what uh, we saw happen with crossplay in uh, in uh, online games, right? And Fortnite was uh, sort of the prime example of of uh, how the market could change. Um, like, I mean, we never used to have games where uh, you could you could um, play in a, on a Nintendo platform against somebody who was on a Sony platform or on the PC or uh, on, on Xbox, right? And uh, you could play against people or with people um, who were uh, on your platform but not against uh, others, right? And so like, um, I guess the interesting thing with the success of Fortnite becoming the game that everybody wanted to play, um, then you know they had the epic games had the interesting problem of uh, lots of people saying i want to play with my friends mm-hmm. right but my friends don't have a playstation right and so like uh how can you make this happen mm-hmm. and so uh, uh epic really kind of got market power um they were you know they had a game that was so popular everybody had, they were making billions of dollars a year mm-hmm. Uh, from it, everybody wanted to play it and uh, be together in it, and so they then went to all the platforms and said, "Like, do you want Fortnite on your platform?" Mm-hmm. And of course, they do, right? Uh, because they're, it's generating lots of money. Mm-hmm. Well, then um, you have to enable crossplay, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know. Microsoft was willing to, I think Sony was willing to, uh, Nintendo maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe thinking like, yeah, this is not a kind of thing we do, right? Um, but, uh, you know, if Epic could say like, okay, the others are going to do it, but you aren't, then you're not going to have Fortnite anymore. And it's like it, it has market power yeah. to enable crossplay, which was uh, a more open form of of gaming for that would benefit everybody. It benefited players, and to me, that's like an example of, of how um, how you can force a market to be more open, right? And uh, uh, I, you know, I I wonder if there's some lesson in that for how the metaverse could become more open or made to be more open.
1: Yeah, definitely. So. How we think about it, and and that's a great example, and that's a major change in the market, right? Like where you can play like games now, it's easier for games to become social networks because, you know, you can play with a friend that is on the phone. And I think like the data that came from that uh, is that people actually ended up they every platform ended up making more money mm-hmm. because more people play, more people play with friends, like more people, like you know, willing to buy stuff. Mm-hmm. So like that's that's kind of a good example of like a opening up a market more, mm-hmm. actually benefiting everyone involved commercially as well. Mm-hmm. And like that's um, <clears throat> on the question, you know, the, the the moment we are driving to get to is kind of working with early partners that are very open-minded or more open-minded. Mm-hmm. To prove to the rest of the the industry that it's just like a commercially, you know, it's a no-brainer decision to build an open avatar system, for example. Because Mm -hmm. you can sell avatar sneakers, like we discussed, uh, that work in a thousand games, which makes you make more money. Mm -hmm. So uh, once we can prove that on a sufficient scale with enough data, then, like, the companies don't have to be... Open metaverse-minded to join the network, to join like a, and build a more open game. It just becomes a no-brainer business decision. It's like, why would I build a closed outer system? Spend all this time doing that, selling stuff in my game that only three percent of people buy. If I could do build an open system and have twenty-five percent people buy buy that stuff, you know, so. So like it just needs to become a non barrier business decision. Uh-huh. Um and when it does, then like we're not talking about philosophically aligned with the open metaverse. It doesn't have to be that. It's just it's practical for people to do that. Uh-huh. And I think that's the only way this can really happen on scale. Uh-huh. Um so that's what we're trying to do as a company. You know, make the value uh so like practical that um, you know, it's just uh, it's very clear uh why people need to open up as opposed to a very open, uh, very philosophically driven, which is the ready market and the web space and so forth. So we got a good question on along this uh, topic from
0: Jeremiah at Wagstaff here. About how much of Ready Player Me is built on open standards, meaning open source and non-proprietary, so that Ready Player Me doesn't end
1: up owning everyone's avatar in the metaverse, right? Yeah, it's like break down the walls and then build a wall around us, you know? <laughs> Yeah, we're we'll we'll definitely trying to not do that. Um, so, yeah, so we use open like uh, formats, like GLTF, for example. You know, we have open source SDKs. Um, but kind of the weird thing is that... Interoperable avatars are only possible because we are kind of centralized. Yeah. So uh, you know, we basically deliver the avatars in different technical specifications and 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 kind of like whatever waste the avatar needs to be delivered at, depending on the game. Uh, and we are kind of a centralized service that makes that happen. So as a developer, you can get an avatar for your Unity game in the right format, in the right you know animation rig with, with the right animation rig with the right LODs resolution. Um, and as a Unreal desktop game, we can do the same. And it's very hard to kind of like make that core service open source. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably possible to run it as like a decentralized service eventually with some like token stuff. But that's not something we're like very focused on now. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're focused on creating a, a a great end user experience that people you know people can go between games. Game developers have a great avatar system. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's why we also speak very publicly about our values of like trust and be trusted and like, you know, our kind of like breaking down walls. So um, when we start building walls, then people call us out for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I guess you mentioned GLTF,
0: Uh, I I guess this is a 3D graphics format really for the internet. I I guess you can think of it as maybe uh, being really good for things like e-commerce, right? uh, but there are other there's no group that has declared that is the standard yet really right and um, there are groups out there like the Linux Foundation acquired the Open Metaverse Foundation, and uh, they are committed to um, to creating a lot of uh, 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 standards and uh, putting a lot of like programming talent behind that right and so um They're putting some real meat behind the words people have about wanting to have an open metaverse, right? And there's the Kronos group as well. I think that is uh, is going to collect a lot of different industries together and companies to establish uh, open standards uh, for the metaverse. Um, And uh, yeah, I I I guess um, you know Nvidia. With the Omniverse, is really behind and backing uh, Universal Scene Description mm-hmm. (USD) as mm-hmm. the way to share 3D assets around, uh, especially at the high end. Like uh, it came from Pixar originally yeah. and uh, came down from uh, you know high-end film and animation, uh, uh, along with uh, games, industrial metaverse applications as well, and so. In some ways, there's some competition, I I think maybe between GLTF and USD, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And I guess we'll see how that plays out. But I guess, like, you're running a company, right? Mm -hmm. And then um, do you have time to wait for
1: these standards Mm -hmm. to be worked out, right? No. (laughs) (laughs) So. What happens? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. So UST, for example, like you can be actually complementary with GLTF because it, it's more like for scenes and bigger, like mm-hmm. um bigger models and like worlds and things like that. And GLTF is better for like single 3D objects. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> and we'll probably support uh, USD at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um yeah, so we we're not waiting because like there's no standards right now. Uh there's like very small kind of beginnings of some standards that for avatars that you know, very niche kind of like games use. Um, we support different platforms. we support different technical specs, we support, support many different standards, or like, not even standards, but like any custom systems that games want to use. Okay. So we can use a custom rig, we can use a custom, you know, topology, whatever you need for your game, and that's what makes ReadyPammy powerful, because, and that's what makes interoperability possible in a world where, like, there's no standards. Uh-huh. Um, so, and that's kind of the centralized service that delivers the avatars in different specs and different, you know, standards, essentially. Um, yeah, so that that's kind of like how we work through that. It's just we support a lot of different things. Uh-huh. We try to give the developer exactly what they would get if they would build it themselves. Uh, not perfect, but uh, as much flexibility as possible, uh-huh. even different styles of avatars. You know, so you can get exactly the spec, exactly the style of the avatar that you that you need. Um, That's still work in progress. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if uh, everybody knows much about the whole process of
0: creating standards, uh, Mm -hmm. technology standards. uh, But uh, yeah, groups like the Kronos Group have done this over um, many technologies and uh, many years. And uh, one thing that's always uh, part of it at some point is. they kind of have like a bake-off, right? And and say, okay, what are all the different things we could use as a standard for doing this particular task? And in, the ba- in bake-off, basically people show up with um, either hardware or whatever software uh, that works, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it just does what it's supposed to do. Like uh, in this case, it would be, say, being able to display 3D graphics very quickly yeah. uh, at, you know, full speed. Uh, in any, any kind of screen, right? Mm-hmm. Any, any kind of uh, screen you would use to view it or access it or whether it's in VR or on your phone. Um, and if it works, then it's like a candidate to be the standard, right? And, uh, and so you can wind up with a, um, a working technology in a competitive market um, with, um, Something that could become a de facto standard, yes. right? And so I imagine maybe this is what you would would hope for: is that whatever you're creating mm-hmm. uh, for avatar standards really becomes the de facto standard? Like everybody in the market likes it, wants it, wants to use it, and you win, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, totally. So I mean, I think one part of it is is the, is the kind of the file, you know, and the standard in, in that sense, right? Um, the other thing is like you are kind of the default platform. So the the, the file format, let's say like avatars um, will be fully standardized, and it would go and like could upload any f- asset to any game. Then there's still like a problem with um, the economic kind of side, like the business part of interoperability, and you kind of like need a service to manage that. So like when you buy an asset from game A, you actually spend all of the time in game B. Should game B get pick it paid for that? Or like, what if you buy a thousand dollar asset or ten dollar asset, and you want to use it in a game? Like, the, the thing that makes the asset valuable is the fact that you can use it in a game. So, like, games need to get paid for allowing assets to enter their worlds. Um, and a, a standard, like a file format, won't really just change that, or they won't kind of solve that problem. So, uh, <clears throat> what we were int- attempting to do is like, um, uh, you know, build a standard, but also like build an end-to-end service platform that solves all of those different problems with interoperability, which is on one end, technical standards and so forth, but on the other end, is the business deal, like business problems that come with interoperability. Or like, what if there's a, there's a brand that wants to sell their assets in virtual worlds, but not in shooters? You know, how do you manage that? Like if there was an open standard, you can just upload any asset, then like that wouldn't, wouldn't like work. So like, there's a lot of kind of business complexity as well that needs to get solved, on top of the, the file format and and we want to be the solution for all those things combined, so like make interoperability happen whatever it takes uh, on the technical side on the business side, and figure out the model that basically benefits all of the, all of the different parts of the market, like users, developers, which is the most important thing we'll focus on um, brands you know you, you just see like you know, creators. Um, what we're trying to get to is like a, a system that works and benefits all of them, um, and it's not easy, <laughs> you know, to figure out what that kind of business model, for example, exactly is going to be without like that existing at all uh-huh. so far. And we we had
0: a, a, a question from anonymous here <laughs> that was uh, about uh, just what are the challenges that stand in the way of an inter- interoperable metaverse, right? Um, uh-huh. Do you see anything else that we haven't sort of mentioned so far? Like,
1: yeah, what's hard about this? I guess. What's hard about this? Yeah. So I mean, what's hard about this is, like, people are are so used to like, you know, First, um, the only group of people today that know how to build interesting virtual experiences is game developers, uh, and a lot of people are trying to figure it out. But this is the core like market that knows how to build interesting experiences, and. Building a game is hard, and there's a high failure rate, and, and so forth. So the industry is generally pretty like risk-averse. Um, so you don't want to like build an open economy and see what's going to happen. Uh, if you built like, 10 economies before, and they're closed walled gardens, and you know what's going to happen when you do this or that, and, and so forth, so b- most people just keep doing what they're doing. They just keep building closed walled garden worlds, and they don't want to change, because like why would they? and i think that's like one 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 kind of like challenge like it's not even like technical it's just like um getting people to go over the you know go to the other side and try to open up the avatars, for example and it's, it's happening but it's um it takes it takes a leap for most companies to really change their ways um because like closed wall gardens is the the way the industry knows how to build things and to really push them to open up is hard um it's like the like self interest versus collective interest right and then yeah. yeah like you know if
0: if if we had great technology like you know the iPhone right uh it's such a perfect phone right it's a great phone why would we ever need anything else besides the iPhone like yeah. why don't we just standardize on that right <laughs> yeah uh, and uh and yet you know you know something else came along uh, to to give uh, uh some choice there and competition and so like um Android, mm-hmm. uh, Google's Android, uh, has uh, sort of uh, arose as a kind of counterforce in the market, really, to to stop the world from being completely uh, built around a single company's yes. technology. Right. Um, I mean, I do think that you know that uh, kind of lesson in, in the market is uh, going to inform um, you know the strategies of all the companies that are mm-hmm. going to be interested in the metaverse and like. You know something has to be coming from Apple, right? Mm-hmm. And um, when they drop it in the market, um, it's it's going to be like, you know, the Lightning connector versus USB, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it 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 uh, you know, I, I think the self interest is like the easy thing to do is to make your game for the iPhone, mm-hmm. right? And not have to worry about all the other phones um, out there with Android. I mean, like, how do we get from like self-interest to something more like collective interest?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think like it has to um, like how we think about it is like just very practical. Like, it it has to be better for the game. It has to be profitable for them Mm -hmm. to like open up, and there need to be enough kind of brave early adopters that are willing to do that and build it in, in a new way uh, that kind of show the rest of the industry that this is the be- better way to do this. This is a better end user experience. This is a better way to run your business. Like that's ultimately what can, what's gonna change people's mindsets and gonna make them change, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, like if you can educate the end users, people that use avatars and use different games, play different games, and create some pressure from that side for people to like think more open then um, that's also uh, one way you can you can get there. Um, mm-hmm. But we fundamentally believe that this is like going to happen, and it's going to be beneficial for everyone involved. Uh, it's going to be beneficial for game developers, and we see that in our network now. Like when people have cross-game avatars, they can acquire people from the existing network that already have an avatar, have brought their branded bought a branded asset, bought an NFT or something that goes to their game. They get a revenue share for that. You know, they can now sell stuff in their game that works in thousands of games. So, like, it's it's clearly valuable already. Um, but it just takes time for, like, it takes time to build a game as well. So, like, a lot of the things we have that we are working in now, or now, like it will be launched in one year, in two years, like um, the bigger game. So it just takes time for the industry to change and for more data and proof points to be out there, mm-hmm. and the more game, you know, uh, designers that understand how to build things around uh, more open systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So we got a, another good question here. Do you do you see the metaverse being adopted by B two B, and if so, what are the Key use cases that will drive that adoption? Mm -hmm. Uh, I have an answer on this, um, but. so I, I mentioned NVIDIA and the Omniverse, right? And uh, in, NVIDIA's GTC conference is next week. I'm um, uh, uh, moderating a session on the metaverse for that as well. And and that's, you know, that's the wider world of technology, really, um, and not just uh, games. And so, like, the Omniverse is NVIDIA's uh, tool for collaboration, uh, uh, collecting all the different tools you could use to make different things for the metaverse, uh, whether it's Maya, uh, you know, 3D Studio Max, Unreal Engine, Unity, etc. Um, and uh, they're really targeting uh, more the, like the enterprise metaverse really, uh, and uh, companies uh, that are way outside of, of gaming. They're starting to use game engines, right? But, they're, you know, like BMW is using them to design its factories. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and they call these digital twins, right? And Uh, So they're going to design a car factory. They have one that's going to go up in Hungary in a a couple of years. And they want to perfect the design of this factory in the omniverse, really, uh, in the industrial metaverse. And then um, basically create a digital twin of the factory, and then build the real factory in real life. But they're also going to instrument this factory with enough sensors. So it collects real-world information that tells it whether or not the actual design in the digital world is a good one or not. Like if the data coming in uh, says like, oh, we got all these things wrong, then uh, they go in back and they refine the design of the digital twin and change it. So like this this loop of information is actually extremely um, uh, useful for anybody manufacturing anything. Right. And so like all factories could be designed this way um going forward. And so I think you know that's that's an example. Like NVIDIA has also brought up um you know that uh you know their their GPUs are going into the supercomputers and some and one of the biggest problems in the world right now is to create um a a way of uh predicting climate change, right? Mm-hmm. And so they wanna create a um create this uh digital twin of the Earth, I'm going to use all the supercomputers of the world to figure this out and try to predict climate change for decades to come. But in order to do that, it has to be accurate to like a meter level uh, construction of like both the atmosphere, but everything on on the planet as well. And so they have to create a digital twin of the Earth, uh, which is crazy, like, but it has this use. Like. There's also, like, multiple uses for this kind of thing. Like, you could use this to test self-driving cars mm-hmm. in a digital world because you can't test these cars on the streets because you're probably going to kill people, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so there's that. And so, like, there's, there's dual-use technologies that um, I think can help, uh, you know, bring the metaverse along closer. There's a game developer out there, Brendan, Brendan Green, who is uh, you know creating? Um, he's the creator of PUBG, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. He's the, you know the pioneer of battle royale in in games, and he's creating uh, something he calls Artemis, which is a basically a digital twin of the Earth, and he wants to um, use that for the ga- for uh, for a game uh, where you know you just go in and you create your own games right. within it. And so like um, the interesting. Thing that the you know the CEO of Nvidia said was that like you know when asked, um, you know when you create Earth Two, the whole digital twin of the Earth, um, are you basically going to get the Metaverse for free? And he said yes. So you take you take that, you give it to Brendan Green, He creates his his gaming world, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I think that's where uh, uh, companies
1: that are in this space don't have to do it all themselves. Yeah they could get the Metaverse for free. Right. Totally, and I think that's like, the gaming industry really likes to build things from scratch. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, but there's a new kind of, uh, like the trend is that smaller teams build bigger games and they want to do less things from scratch and they want to focus on the and like the experience um, that comes out of it over in reinventing everything. Um, yeah, and on the B2B comment like question, um, we work with a lot of companies that use, uh, like, do virtual training, for example. So uh, there's like a nuclear plant they're building, for example, where they do virtual training to operate the plant and like some emergency training and things like that. There's like um, a few hundred, maybe some, like 50 to 100 companies in our network that are doing things like that. Uh, it's also like education um, and all kinds of things like that. Um, but yeah, B2B is like. Virtual training, I think, is, is, is big. Mm-hmm.
0: We should get through some of these audience questions here. Um, what do you predict to be the trajectory of avatar aesthetics?
1: Sorry again. That's you. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. So basically, um, we think that people want different aesthetics for different types of use cases. So you might want a fully photorealistic avatar for like a telepresence kind of type of experience. So like when you want to speak with your family, for example, uh, over long distances or something like that, you might want to use an uh, as realistic as possible of an avatar. Versus like if you play with your friends and you're like flying in a mystery forest with a unicorn, then you might not want to be like a fully realistic avatar. You might want to be a version of yourself. Um, it's like your Instagram profile, you know, it's a version of yourself. Um, so, so yeah, there's going to be different things, but we believe most experiences are going to be using like an augmented version of yourself over a realistic avatar. Um, you know, we started nine years ago by scanning people, so that's like a very realistic avatar. People fucking hate that. <laughs> they, don't like, they don't like what they look like. <laughs> you know, exactly. Uh, so you want some kind of augmentation probably. Um, but yeah, things will get more realistic for sure. Um, over time, uh, we might create some more realistic styles. I guess here, here's that question about whether NFTs are like uh,
0: sort of on a road to nowhere. Or they're going to be the the on ramp to the metaverse, right? Um, And uh, so people are adopting NFTs as their online identity. Any any plans to partner with companies like Yuga to let people use NFTs to build their avatar?
1: Yeah, totally. So I think generally the Web3 space, just to comment on that, is like it's definitely pushing the world towards a more open metaverse because. On one end, it's like a set of technologies that really enable the ownership of assets across platforms. You know, if there's a pair of sneakers and you want to own it uh, in 10 different games, then there needs to be some kind of a database where you store the ownership of that asset. And it can be a centralized database like Ready for Me today, or it can be a decentralized database like Blockchain. So, and if you have a pair of sneakers that works in thousands of experiences, then Blockchain is a great way to manage the ownership of that asset. That then every game itself can tap into, and and that's a great way to do that. So that's the technical side, and the other side is the the kind of the philosophical side, which I we we spoke about before. Like companies wanting to open up, like that space has a very kind of open uh, mindset. So and that's actually kind of coming into gaming. That's making some kind of new gaming companies build more open, and that's also very big. What comes to NFT avatars, specifically, and NFT, um, um, yeah, NFT avatars, PFPs, then uh, we've done some stuff. Like, we built the project for CryptoPunks, where you can create a 3D version of your punk and use it in ReadyPerMe, in all the different games we work with. Uh, we haven't done something with Yuga at the moment, but, um, uh, yeah, this will, this will be probably a part of how, like, a, a, one identity you can use. Like an NFT avatar, the problem is like the communities are super small. Like it's so a 10,000 PFPs. There's and I have a lot of them, by the way. So like I'm I'm definitely uh, I'm am a fan, um, but um, but it's just it's not super not very practical for a gaming company to like build a custom integration for like a 6,000 person max audience, you know, unless it's a very high value audience, which like board apes, for example, are um but anyways like we're definitely going to support those uh avatars on the platform and we don't want to be the only avatar in the metaverse we don't want to be the avatar network or the avatar rails that make other other all the avatars travel across worlds either they're from a game or from an NFT collection yeah. um uh, doesn't matter yeah so um uh when we mentioned that like
0: the Google Trends was showing the metaverse was going way down in uh, usage or uh, searches on Google Trends, the thing that's going way up (laughs) is uh, everybody knows is like ChatGPT and uh, generative AI. And uh, I do wonder like when you put this, uh, you know, user generated content trend that you guys are riding on where everybody wants to create their own thing, right? With generative AI, then what, what do we get? Like, do we get uh, professional quality user-generated content? Right.
1: Yeah, totally. So that's something we've been really looking into a lot uh, recently because um, we believe it's really going to change how games are built and how authors are built. Um, so, you know, generative AI allows anyone to use their imagination, create prompts, use images to create assets. Right now, the two D part of that is really good. Three D is not there yet. Something we did recently was um, we launched um, uh, a generative AI driven avatar creator uh, where you can choose a hoodie or different kind of assets. And then you can write in a prompt to kind of like create uh, whatever you want. So my uh, my avatar is wearing a hot dog pattern hoodie with a dark background right now, for example. Um, so you can, you can basically give people um, a way to create 3D assets that were not there they're not 3D artists, which opens, yeah, new ways to create UGC. And it's just like 2D textures and 3D models right now. Uh, but uh, 3D, uh, we think it's going to happen like within the next 12 to 24 months in a, in a decent quality, which means that, yeah, more people will be able to create assets and, and sell them, and there might be new ways people create I uh-huh. I guess the
0: big question then becomes, do we need... 10 times more or a hundred times more or a thousand times more things created by users Mm. or do we just need better games created by professionals?
1: That's a great (laughs) question. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there are examples of both working, uh, Roblox, you know, is a very compelling experience or game or platform and it's purely built by non-professional developers. Um, like, as in like the games are built by non-professional developers and assets. While like most of the other gaming, or most of the gaming is very much built by professionals. Um, I think just more assets, more 3D models uh, won't change much actually, like it just creates more noise. Uh, what's more, most important, most valuable is interesting virtual experiences where people want to spend time with their friends and, and, and with other people. Um And I think like just like the fact that game production becomes cheaper and cheaper, especially with generative AI making it a lot easier to build a game um, there will be new game modes, people will be less less risk averse smaller teams build bigger games that are actually interesting there's more more experimentation, which actually leads you know to new kinds of gameplay, new kinds of social experiences in virtual worlds, and that 's ultimately like the most valuable part. Um just the fact that you can create 3D assets is is cool, Um, uh, but it's just like one part, right? Going to ultimately the experiences are what matters. Then uh just gonna try
0: to speed through some of these questions, like how, so how to how do you guarantee ethics in the metaverse? Like we'll we'll have this open space and no regulation?
1: Yeah. Uh it's gonna be a mess. <laughs> I, I ethics ethics is a wide kind of a topic. Um you know, uh I think the more open the space is, the more like crazy things will go down. And the uh, platforms themselves will enforce some rules. AI itself can be very helpful with, with those things, like you know, 3D assets, validating them, hate speech, whatever, all those things will be a lot easier to manage with AI. And already is Uh but yeah, no idea. Like if you want a fully safe space, it's a fully closed space. If you want an interesting space, it's uh, more open, you know. It's like uh or like Disney World, uh, you know, versus like New York. I like to live in New York more. <laughs> uh uh-huh, yeah. So, uh, do you believe that in the future we will have copyrights for avatars uh,
0: so I can't create an avatar equal to a celebrity avatar?
1: Yeah, I mean, you can do that now. Um, any 3D artist that is good can go and take an image of a celebrity and create an avatar of of that celebrity now. Um, but yeah, he um, called celebrity avatar. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I don't know. Um, what we're focused on right now is creating a great uh, end user experience for like our customers and build great developer tools, and then we'll address the problems as they as they arise. Uh-huh. So we talked about gaming, what about the film business
0: leading the way to the Metaverse?
1: Yeah, so that's something we discussed yesterday as well. You actually have a point of view on that. Um, I
0: I think the interesting thing that I see is that the the film universe and the gaming universe are becoming one, right? They're becoming one entertainment ecosystem Mm -hmm. and you, you get things like The Last of Us on HBO uh, out of that ecosystem, right, and then uh, I think that uh, uh, that should be encouraged, and it's a great thing, and I think that combination is also what leads us towards something like the metaverse. It's just like there's these intellectual properties and franchises that then uh, are accessible in different ways through comics, through. Um, through uh, streaming media, through games, uh, whatever. Like you can, you can get to The Walking Dead, whatever way you want, right?
1: Yeah, totally. And, and then, you know, you might be a fan of a movie or like a, a an IP, and that you know, if there's a game that is uh, more more for a general audience, that can also pull you into a game. Or like we work with a lot of brands. For example, like Tom Hill Figure is building a web. Kind of, It's not a film, actually, but it's like a brand IP. Um, they're building a web store where you can buy virtual assets, and then you can port them to games. So you might be a fan of an IP or a brand, and that actually brings you to the metaverse. Um, and then you might start liking it and come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then how many avatars have been created in Ready
0: Player Me, and how innovative are they?
1: Yeah, so um, innovative, I don't know. Uh, So, how many others we created, like, I don't know, 12, 13 million or something like that? Um, And uh, two people stick there with their real appearances. Appearances depends on the types of applications. In a professional app, there are 95% of people making an outer from a selfie. In a VR chat, for example, it's like 45, 50%. So, it really depends if you play with your... Real friends, it's more likely to be similar to yourself. If you go in a virtual um, kind of a crazy experience, then you might be less like yourself. Okay. I guess last question then. Uh, what impact can an open metaverse have on
0: the future of commerce
1: and entertainment? <laughs> an easy one. It's going to change everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, future of commerce and entertainment. I mean, I think, um, you know, the amount of people's the amount of money people spend on virtual assets is connected with the amount of time spent they spend in virtual worlds. So um, that number is going to go up over time. Um, the open metaverse allows more brands, more individual creators, to take part of that economy and to set up a store and sell stuff that works in thousands of games. Instead of having to go to a single game developer and convince them to, you know, add their y- yourself to their store, or like for a brand, for example. They can focus like they work with us. They can focus on creating assets and selling them on in their community, there to their people, and uh, and we make sure that those assets work in uh, a lot of games. So I think uh, the open metaverse will just be open, so more people can people can take part, and uh, more people um, will will benefit from it. Very good. Thank you very much, everybody. Great questions. Yes, thank you so much.